0: It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's Rock and Mike And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on The Rock Show Ooh, yeah, on The Rock Show welcome to a special edition of Black History Month, and uh, we did this last year. This is the second anniversary of the Black History Month. We are gonna talk about some musician, of course, are black, not white, and it's for Black History Month. And today we have a unique, unique, very unique, like a Delta blues kind of guy named Sun House. And uh, this is episode one or two of the Rock Show. This is the first edition. Of the black history And uh, Happy February and happy 2021
1: Yeah, happy February
0: um, Okay, yeah This this musician
1: Sunhouse To me is probably The most important Of the, the Delta Blues guys From the 30s and 40s and stuff 20s, 30s and 40s um, A lot of people would point to Robert Johnson uh, And we're going to do a show on him next yep. week But uh, really, Johnson looked to Sun House as an influence, okay? And guys that came later, like Muddy Waters and even Buddy Guy, guys like that that came a little bit later, they all point to Sun House and his slide guitar, bottleneck guitar playing as their main influence and their their reason for for getting into the blues. So I I like Sun House a lot. I kind of discovered him... uh, in the nineties, uh almost on almost on accident really. There was um a buddy of mine had some old blues records and there was a live recording of him, I believe, in London that uh that I heard. And to me it was just like so raw. Uh it was different than the other blues stuff that I knew, even different than Johnson, guys like uh, Charlie Patton or or uh Lead Belly Kind of just even more like if you could just like you know scale it down even more, it would be Sun House, you know
0: what I'm saying? Yeah, let me let me ask you a question where were you put Let Betty there? Because that's a big group of guys with Let Betty and uh Robin Johnson, those kind of pioneers.
1: if if i had you know since we're doing this for black history month you know we're a little cramped for time but i mean we can we can do shows on some of these guys throughout the rest of the year i'd have no problem doing a show on Lead belly or uh, okay. or, Char- or charlie patton or muddy waters guys like that are, are really important you know to you know when you when you hear this stuff i don't know if people out there listening you're not that familiar with this kind of blues music Maybe your blues mu- music starts with uh, Buddy Guy or, or, or even later guys uh, than, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Everyone points to him, but that was so much how, later.
0: How about B.B. King? Will you put
1: him in there, B.B. King? Right, but B.B. King came later. Okay, these yeah. are these the, 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 the original Delta Blues guys are all from the 20s, 30s, and maybe early yeah. 40s. Everybody else came later, and they were all influenced by the, this group people so let's jump right in and one thing i want to point out is you know a lot of the dates and times and places are like approximates all right because Sunhouse liked his whiskey and he told stories a little lumped up and he told stories, <laughs> he told
0: stories different,
1: different ways to different people and different times uh and also a lot of these guys lied about their age and they, you know, Son House was no different. OK, like, you know, some say he was born in 1902. Some say he was born in 1898. OK, they don't they don't really know. He probably didn't really know. People in those days sometimes didn't even know how old they were. OK, because records weren't kept. But his, his real name was Edward James House Jr. And he was born March 21st, 1902 in Lyon, Mississippi. Now, he was the second of three sons. Uh, he lived in that Mississippi Delta area until he was about seven or eight years old, and his parents had separated. Um, his father, who actually was a musician in his own right, uh, he had a, a family band with a, a couple of his brothers. He played uh, tuba, and he played a little bit of guitar himself. Um, but he was also a, a church-going guy. The family did all go to church. They were very religious. Um, and yes, they did. Yeah, and, and, and that, would, that would rub off onto Sunhouse. But his father, Eddie, Eddie Sr., uh, also had a bad drinking problem. And that would affect him, and he would leave the church for a while. But then quickly he realized the errors of his ways. He gave up his drinking, and he became a, a pastor, okay, in a Baptist Dang. church. So his son, Edward Jr., also known as Sunhouse, uh, kind of followed in his father's footsteps as a kid. You know, he, he, he wanted to be involved with the church. He looked at blues music, which was, you know, forming at that time uh, from different, different sources, um as almost evil okay he didn't he didn't view the blues in any positive way he liked to sing he had a powerful voice as even as a child but uh yeah why was that why why was that considered evil no it was it was just his it was his belief it was his you know his religious look i mean uh, I could. i I could kind of like I could kind of make an educated guess and say, like, well, if you see your father playing in a blues kind of band and he's all lumped up out of control and then you see him come back to the (laughs) church, you're you're probably going to go, oh, yeah, you know, that's what you got to do. So uh, his parents, unfortunately, would break up. um, And during that time, he was following the Baptist church, uh, doing a little singing. Uh, But he was just dead set against any kind of music playing. So um, his mother, when the parents broke up, his mother took him to to Tallulah, Louisiana, and then later on to the Algiers section of New Orleans. And at the age of 15, Edward Jr. would start preaching sermons of his own, okay, Uh, in church and wherever somebody would listen to him. That's young, 15 Fifteen. Yeah. I mean, you know, he considered himself, uh, you know, a a, a very hardcore religious Christian. Okay, And uh, by the time he was 19, though, things were starting to change. Uh, He got involved with this older woman uh, named Carrie Martin, and she was from New Orleans and against his family's wishes, he married her. And moved to the Centerville section of Louisiana and helped run a family's farm. But after a while, a few years, he realized that this was not real. He, you know, the love there wasn't real. And he felt the family was, was using him really just as a worker. Okay. To work the farm. And you know, they did get married in the church, okay, which he wanted to do. But he also realized he had to leave her because he was miserable. Later later on, he would always call her just another New Orleans whore.
0: That he, oh, you know, my he
1: God. <laughs> that's how he referred to her later on. Um, so he would leave. That would be around 1924, 25. Now, right around that time, too, shortly before that, his mother passed away. So he was kind of on his own, all right. Uh, I don't yeah. believe his father. I don't believe his father was, was much in his life anymore. But that's kind of uncertain. Um, now he wanted to get away from farming. He didn't want to be involved with any more farming. He kind of had a resentment for it at, at that point. So he kind of took menial jobs around, and he actually ended up in a steel yeah. plant in uh, the East St. Louis section of Illinois. So you know, people were that's on a the tough old- job yeah i mean people were on the move in those days you ever noticed that like they would just follow the train yeah. line and get a job down at the end of some train line and and, and yeah you know, that's how it was you know this was the uh yeah you know right before the depression but still in the in the midwest in the 20s you know it was the dust bowl and you had like people were hungry and crops were dying and it was all sorts of problems so um one job he had that he liked in particular was, uh, in a Louisiana horse ranch, raising horses. Um, and later on when he performed, when he got his career going, he would sometimes wear a cowboy hat in kind of tribute to that job that he had working on the, in the horse ranch. Um, it was around this time that he had, uh, Uh, A a religious experience, basically. Okay, the details of it are not really very well known, but he would take a job as a paid pastor in a Baptist church. And then later on, he would join something called the Colored Methodist Episcopal Church. And he would be a pastor with that. But what was happening to Son House is even though we had this religious uh, experience where he, he felt you know, he had to preach. Okay, I mean, he always felt that way. He kind of would go back and forth. He had this kind of uh, contradiction in his personality, you know. Because during the time that he was married, he was kind of, you know, got away from it. But times before and times after, he yeah. would always go back to the church. He, could, he would go back and forth a lot. But he also had a drinking habit, like his father. He he kind of he kind of developed a drinking. Yeah, like his dad. Yeah. Yeah, just like his dad. And he also loved the ladies. He was known as a womanizer.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, that's, that's how it goes, you know. So this kind of led to a lot of conflicts whenever he did uh, preach. Okay, I think, you know, I can only suspect that probably he was messing around with the congregation. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, know, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people that, that have dug into his past and found contradicting things. So who knows what's true. But um, in 1927, he was 25 years old, and he had, at that point, what could only be described as kind of a a religious conversion backwards, okay? <laughs> like, he he still didn't like blues music. He, he thought it was evil, but he had yeah. a friend. He had two friends named James McCoy and Willie Wilson, and they yeah. both played guitar. Now – it's kind of unclear which of them was the one that did it, but one of them, most say James McCoy, showed him bottleneck slide guitar playing, okay? What, is a, bo- playing what, is, the what is a bottleneck? What is a bottleneck? What is your... Okay, well, I mean, what what, what you do is you, you, you take an acoustic guitar. They didn't have electric guitars in those days, okay? It was an acoustic It might be like a a steel guitar or something like that, but you play when when you play with a slide, you have that metal over your finger and you slide, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, along and you get that kind of you know that that sound. I can't, I, I love that sound, I can't describe what it is, but you have, you know, what I'm talking about, yeah, okay. So yeah. he, he heard that for the first time from from, from James McCoy by by every source that, that I've read. And uh basically he was blown away by it. And like immediately he bought a guitar from a friend of his. Named
0: Frank,
1: yeah, named Frank Hoskins. Yeah. Uh Hoskins used to play with James McCoy and Willie Wilson in a band. And uh within a few weeks after buying that guitar, he was in that band. Sun House had joined that band. So in a matter of a couple wow. of weeks, he learned how to play guitar. He might have had some background from his family being being musical. But, uh, uh, you know, he really learned from McCoy and, and Wilson how to play. All right. So one thing that McCoy taught him was uh, two songs that would become part of Sun House's legacy. One is called My Black Mama. And one is called Preaching yeah. the Blues. Preaching the Blues. Um, he also, at this time, kind of got his own style. Like, even though they taught him how to play, he played very untraditionally. Okay, one thing that, if you watch a lot of sly guitarists even today, if you could picture the a guitar neck right here, they keep their fingers very straight. Yeah okay very much like straight and you slide it okay if you watch son house play and it's 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 just a it's a miracle that there's footage of this because when he would get rediscovered he would be filmed okay but he he played it on an angle with his fingers and doing so it created an even yeah. more unique, more unique sound kind of just to him okay uh, another guy that that was yeah. that he was influenced by was a guy named Rube Lacey. Okay. Um, and Rube Lacey recorded for a blues record label called Paramount Records in the late 1920s. And his records yeah. were very influential to what Sunhouse was doing. Um, his 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 singing, I mean, he could sing. Okay, he had a very strong voice. Uh he sang about his religious experiences, okay, and just you know things that would happen in life. Uh, he he probably really developed that style because of playing, just out of like being more comfortable in playing that way. All right, you know some of that stuff was like it, it just was hit or miss. All right, they would they would play. In a way that was comfortable most to them, so it didn't really follow any real rules in how to play, you know. So he began playing uh, with with uh, Wilson and McCoy and Hoskins, but he also did gigs on his own, playing like uh, juke joints, bars, places like that. And in 1920, yeah, small places, small, he was, small venue. He was playing small, small very, venues, yeah, very you know, very very small venues. In 1927, or some say 1928, he was at a, uh, a juke joint and a, 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 a fight broke out and a guy started shooting the place up. And Sunhouse got shot in the leg. And, you know, he says in self-defense that he pulled a gun on the guy and killed him. Okay, the guy shooting up the place. But this yeah. being Mississippi... Okay, in the 1920s He, you know th- th- You know, there was still Uh, Jim Crow laws And, and, and racism and things yeah. like that So he got sentenced For 15 years for killing this other guy Uh, and it was at the Mississippi State Penitentiary, which was Really a, a hole Okay, and he yeah, only I, I, I <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was There's a lot of stories about it Um He actually only served two years, though, because during the time that he was there, his family was trying to appeal to the local authorities that it was a self-defense issue. okay. And he had the help of this um, white plantation owner that his fam, some people in his family had worked for. And they you know, this guy helped him. And basically a judge looked at the case and threw it out and commuted his sentence and and let him out, okay? But it was under the one agreement that he basically had to get the hell out of town, okay? He had to stay away from the Clarksdale, Mississippi area that he was living in prior, okay? Probably was for his own benefit, too, okay? Probably somebody would have went after him or something. Who knows, okay? Um, now, he would end up... In the Lulu, Mississippi area Okay, uh, about 16 Miles north of Clarksdale He took a train Um, That place is also About 8 miles from A blues music hub in Arkansas Called Helena Arkansas, it's right on the border Of Mississippi and Arkansas Now coincidentally In Lulu, Charlie Patton Who was A very famous blues guy at the time Uh, He was in exile, okay, in Lulu because he got thrown out of a place called the Dockery Plantation that he was working in, okay, Uh, unclear exactly (laughs) why, okay, but he was kind of hiding out in Lulu. And uh, Charlie had records out, okay, he had been recorded, and uh, he was very well respected. But when Sunhouse came to town, he got off the train, okay no money and what's that what's that he had no money also yeah no I yeah, had he no was. money I mean, he spent, right he spent his last few bucks on the train ride okay to get there, and he started playing in the station for cash yeah just for you know he put a cup out or whatever and but he was so good that people were giving him money and 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 Charlie Patton noticed him. He happened to be by the train station when he got off the train. And he noticed him doing what he was doing. But he didn't approach him yet. He just said, oh, okay, there's another blues guy in town. So Patton at that time was playing with a guy named Willie Brown. And he was also associated with the cafe owner, Sarah Knight, who was also a bootlegger. OK, and Sunhouse had started, you know, playing for change in front of that same cafe and he would attract the crowd every day. OK, and people would throw down coins and, and pay him to, to hear him play. So Patton approached him and he asked him if he wanted to, you know, play with him and Willie Brown. Now, also what happened is they the three of them actually got involved with Sarah Knight and some bootlegging and they made some side cash doing that. Okay. So probably in those days, you, you know, if you had a car, you can get that, boot, you know, you could you know, send it to wherever, you know, and sell it. Okay. So she was making her own booze in that, in that cafe and selling it probably all over the place. So now some biographers of Charlie Patton, Dispute the fact that Sunhouse might have played with those two, okay? Because Sunhouse, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like Charlie Patton was 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 like kind of a league above musically than Sunhouse. He could really play, okay. And uh, they say that Charlie Patton would have had a guy that not as well trained play with him, okay. So some say that they didn't play together in the same gigs, but they also But what they did is like maybe sun house opened for him, something like that. You know, yeah. they, would, they would, they would play in the same place at the same time, but just not together. They played separately. No one really knows. Okay. Uh, I've read in sun house stuff that they did play together. So it could be either way. So um, in 1930, there was a guy named art label and he ran a label called Paramount Records yeah. like i mentioned before they they uh yeah. they recorded a lot of blues and folk music all right now he traveled to lulu because he wanted to record charlie patton all right that kind of, when i when i was researching this that kind of made me laugh because charlie patton was supposed to be hiding out but <laughs> that guy knew where he was
0: you know i don't know how that happened but yeah, that's incredible he wanted, to record,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to record him So Charlie agreed He said sure And uh, he took Sunhouse and, and Willie Brown with him And they went up to Grafton, Wisconsin To record some music Now uh, they also brought The piano player Louise Johnson All of them would record For Paramount at this point Okay So uh, House would record nine songs for the label, eight of which was actually released, um, including like Black Mama, Preaching the Blues, stuff like that, that he would be known for much later. But these were commercial failures. They bombed. Okay. They didn't sell. Now, in 1930, you know, we were in the midst of the Depression. The label didn't have a lot of money, and it never, in in its existence, it didn't really have a good distribution. So it was hard to find these records anyway, even in, when they were out. Uh, so they were kind of doomed to go nowhere. But he would he wouldn't record commercially again until the nineteen sixties. Yeah, that's crazy. Thirty five years. Re- yeah, when he got rediscovered. In between that time, though, after after doing that session with Paramount, he would play live with Patton and Brown uh, Patton would die. Okay. In, uh, 1934, he died of, I believe a heart problem. Okay. Wow. Um, he continued playing with Brown after that. Uh, he also worked as a tractor driver on some different plantations in the Mississippi area. Um, then in 1941, he, uh, a guy named Alan Lomax, um, Alan Lomax is an interesting guy. He kind of recorded, well, he, he did, he recorded a lot of blues and folk people for the Library of Congress, okay? Yeah. What the, what the, what the government, he would kind of work for the government, I think. What he did was he documented this stuff, okay? The government was very interested in documenting this music coming out of the Delta Blues as a a form of national music, okay? It was, you know, uh, even though the country was still racially divided in many ways, this music was starting to become popular in Harlem and other cities. Uh, There was variations of it. A lot, in the 1930s, you had people like Billie Holiday, okay, that were very popular with with, with black and, and white audiences in big cities. So the, 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 the government was interested in documenting some of these people. So Alan Lomax uh, got in touch with Sun House, and he basically asked him, listen, you know, can you record for the Library of Congress? He agreed. Um, he had a couple people playing with him. There was a guy named Fiddlin Joe Martin, um, and Willie, yeah. Brown, Willie Brown was with him again. And they had a harmonica player named Leroy Williams play with him. And he would record for the Library of Congress. Okay. Now, again, that wasn't commercially though. That was just as a document. Um Hey Mike, you
0: think we're recording that? You think Mike, you think they were recording that just to see how come white people like this kind of music? You think it was more of an experiment? How come this music is so popular with white people and black? You think it was more like a login?
1: No. I've I've never uh, you know the stuff I've read about it. It was more like they. I I think it was like let's get this music before it goes away. Let's document this before. Okay. You know, because most of the a lot of these people had died young. Okay. Uh, Okay. You know, Charlie Patton luckily recorded for Paramount, and some of those recordings have survived. But there's a lot of blues guys that yeah. you know when you when you delve into this this topic, and I have over the years a little bit, I'd like to delve into it more at, at some point when I have time. Um some of these guys barely got recorded at all and thing and things are lost forever. Okay. Some of the, some of these people, it's just a yeah. story. You know, I mean it 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 it's interesting the sequence of events, okay, because it really goes back to slave times. OK, and then even when slavery ended after the Civil War, uh, you know, there would be things like minstrel shows and stuff like that. And, you know, minstrel shows have a bad connotation now. OK, but in those days, th- that's what these musicians did. They yeah. went it was minstrel shows and you played for through the South for all kinds of people. And it was really the only work they could get these people. OK, so it was out of desperation, really, that the whole blues thing was born. So when, okay. you know, by the 1940s, uh, some of these people were gone. And I, and again, I, I don't think it was just to see why white people liked it. I think it was just to document this before it's gone. People and like the, gone. All right. they did, you know, so. But Sunhouse would would drop off the map. OK, he decided at age 40. To get out of the business. He didn't want to play anymore. Uh, He wanted to get out of the public eye. And he moved up to Rochester, New York. To get a job as a railroad porter. On the New York Central Railroad. Which was. Wow. It was a railroad that ran. I think between New York State and Chicago. Or New York City and Chicago. I should say. And it stopped upstate. And then would go west. So. You know he and he also worked as a chef a little bit as well, okay, as a cook. So uh, he did that until I believe it was about the early '60s or late '50s when the railroad laid off people, uh, and, and and he got laid off. And he was living in Rochester. He wasn't really doing much. He had given up playing. He hadn't played since probably the Late 40s, early 50s, he hadn't played anything. He gave up playing guitar altogether. Got married a few times. Um, it's unclear if he had any kids. I think he did. I think he did have kids. How many, I'm not sure. Okay. okay. Um, but uh, in 1964, the popular music scene in America and in England in particular had changed. Uh, rock and roll was, was it. Okay, guys like the Beatles, guys like the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds—they uh, were all proclaiming a love for the blues. Okay, and also yeah. folk music, folk music right around that time was was still popular. Okay, and and a lot of these folk people, they looked back as the at these old blues guys as they were like gods. Okay, you know they were just you know. And Sun House was somebody that his records were so rare that if you had a Sunhouse House record, it was a big yeah. deal. Okay, so they, they they looked. It's a collector's be, item. Uh, a collector's item, but also it was kind of like a little bit like it puts you on a, a higher pedestal. Ooh, Sun House, you know what I mean? Like, you know Sun House? You know, oh, that yeah. Kind of so um, there were a couple of guys that were – basically blues musicologists, okay? A guy named Nick Pearls, a guy named Dick Waterman, and another guy named Phil Sparrow. And they kind of, these three guys just rediscovered Sun House in Rochester, just living in a home, okay, by, you know, with his wife, I guess, or family, and not playing any music at all, not doing a whole lot of anything. In fact, Sun House, when he met these guys, they just knocked on his door and said, are you the guy that, that recorded <laughs> the Paramount Records, you know, back in 1930? And, and he said, yeah, that's me. And they were like, wow, you know, we found you. They were actually on a search for Robert Johnson. Okay. No, they didn't know wow. Robert Johnson was dead. Okay. Robert Johnson had died many, you know, many years before. Okay But his I, I, You know There was no obituary There was no record of it And the reason they found out Is because they They searched out uh, Muddy Waters Who was recording at the time Okay And Muddy okay. said Muddy I think Muddy told him No, Robert Johnson's dead Okay, he knew Okay uh, And then all those stories started Which we're going to get into next week About him selling his soul to the devil And you know all that. Oh shit. yeah Yeah you know. <laughs> Yeah, at the crossroads and all that, and then uh, yeah, uh, Muddy said, "Listen, if if, if you want to find a guy who I think is still alive that I, I have an idea where he is, that started this shit, it's it's Sun House." So yeah, they found him in Rochester. He didn't even know that there was this revival of, of his music or any kind of blues. He just had, he had no clue. Okay. Uh so basically, you know, they took him out of obscurity and and, and he started to go on tour. Okay. Uh so Mike, let me ask you a question. He wasn't getting like
0: any revenue from the record sales, right? to probably the sixties.
1: Well, no. The, the 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 records never sold anyway. Paramount records was long gone. Those guys in those days when they, those records were recorded. Nobody made money. Yeah. You know who made you know who made money? Yeah. The record label. The record label. Well, that's it. Yeah. Okay. The artists never made money in those days. Maybe if you were like even even a Billy Holiday didn't really make she got ripped off too. All right. So it, it, it you know, it just didn't happen. All right, in those days. So he was he struggled his whole life, House. Yeah. Okay. You know, the music was his passion, but He kind of, you know, when he got out of the scene in the 40s and disappeared for 20 years, it it was a it was a self-imposed exile because he was actually looking at, you know, Charlie Patton died. Robert Johnson died. Other guys died. Am I next? Okay, he he thought he was going to die. He thought there was some kind of maybe some kind of curse. Okay, so that's why he really got out of the business. But these guys rediscovered, wow. him, and he realized, wow, you know, I, I can't have a career. He was in his 60s, okay? Now, he may have even been in his late 60s if he, if that 1902 is a little off, okay? So no one knows exactly how yeah. old he was. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could have been rediscovered in his mid-60s, I would say. So uh, he went right back into the music scene, and he toured the United States And Europe extensively Uh, CBS records Would record him okay, In different different things Different live shows and stuff And also in the studio Uh, He also played the Newport Folk Festival In 1964 Which was probably one of the last Big folk festivals Okay They would continue on for a couple more years There would be the famous one where Bob Dylan Upset everybody Because he played electric they didn't like that. They wanted them to stay acoustic. I think that might have been in 66 or 65. But but Sunhouse played the 64 Newport Folk Festival. Uh, he also played the New York Folk Festival in 1965 in July of that year. Um, in October of 67, he did a European tour with blue, blues artists Skip James and Buka White. Okay, so that was a big deal. Um, yeah. But when it came to recording and, and basically when it came to even getting out there to, to play live at first, he hadn't played guitar in a long time. No. So he kind of had to relearn his own music.
0: Yeah, I heard a guy, guy named Adam, 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 Adam Wilson? Adam Wilson?
1: Alan Wilson. Alan, Alan Wilson is a, a, a famous guitar player from the 60s. He was in the band Canned Heat. Okay, yep. they had a lot of they you know, they had a lot of success commercially. Um but before that, before Canned Heat, when he was about twenty-two or so, yeah. he, was big, yeah. he was a big he was a big he was a big Sun House fan. And the famous uh the famous producer John Hammond, who was gonna produce for Sunhouse House, asked Wilson, listen, teach this guy his own music again.
0: Okay. <laughs> Imagine now,
1: that. Yeah, imagine that, right? How everything comes full circle. Now you got somebody that's a fan teaching you your own shit because you're rusty, you know? But That's, that's amazing. You know, yeah, I mean he picked it he picked it up, okay, and, and and Alan Wilson would 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 play with him off and on over the years. Um, he released a record called Father of the Folk Blues, and that would later be reissued as a two C D set called Father of the Delta Blues. And I just want to show Mm -hmm. you... um, I actually have... It it was released again... It's been released a lot over the years. Uh, But in 2002, it was released on the Fuel label. And it's called... uh, Sun House Revisited. Okay? And it's basically two discs. The first one being... uh, He's, he's introduced by Dick Waterman, okay, one of the guys who rediscovered yeah. him. And he, he plays a bunch of songs, but in between he tells stories about how things were in those days, in the 20s and 30s and stuff. And uh, he talks about how he, he got into music and things that happened. And it's, you know, it's very candid. Sunhouse is an interesting guy to listen to. He's kind of hard to tell if he's yeah. drunk or what. I don't know if you listen to any of that stuff.
0: But uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might be a little lumped up when he was doing. I don't know. There's a, there's another clip if you have, if anybody's interested. Uh, if you could look it up, where Howlin' Wolf, who we're going to be doing a show on this month too, uh, Howlin' Wolf came yeah. a little bit later from Sunhouse, but he knew Sunhouse. And he rips into yeah. Sun House to his face, and he tells him how you know you you know you would have been great if you just didn't you know have a problem with whiskey your whole life, okay? And it, it's, interesting, <laughs> it, it's interesting to 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 hear someone like Alan Wolf saying that to him, you know. Um, now in nineteen yeah. uh, in nineteen seventy, uh, Alan Wilson would play with him uh, on an album called John the Revelator. Now John the Revelator is a a, a great yeah. fucking, great fucking song it's like he's just talking about john the the Revelator who wrote the book of John in the Bible and the Bible was always a big source of you know subject matter for for sunhouse uh because remember he was part preacher yeah. really you know so uh yeah. said Alan Wilson would play with him from time to time and he recorded with him on that album in sixty eight though he was invited to Seattle to record for the Seattle Folklore Society. Uh, it was a concert, and it was recorded, but for some reason, it was never really released until 2006 uh, on the Arcola label. And it's interesting because that, that collection has a, a full-on interview with Sun House recorded in 1969. So in 70, uh, House did another tour of Europe, and he did an appearance at the Montreux Jazz Festival in France. Uh, his, his London shows were recorded and released at the time on Liberty Records. But in 1974, he played the two days of the Blues Festival in, in Toronto. We played both, both days of the, of the show. Uh, yep. He also appeared with Buddy Guy, who was very influenced by Sunhouse, uh, on a TV art show called Camera 3. I believe YouTube has that as well, if anybody wants to look at it. Yeah. Uh, but in 74, he would start to have uh, a decline in his health, okay? He was already probably about 70 at that point. Uh, yeah. He, he retired from the business again, and he would move to Detroit, where he would live for the rest of his life until 1988, and he would be supposedly 86 years old, if not older. Yeah. Okay, Uh he died from um, cancer of the larynx, in his throat. Uh, he actually, at that point, had been married five times. Okay. Wow. And he never benefited financially much. You know, maybe a little bit in that in that rediscovery time, he got a little money, but he never was a rich man. Uh, when he died, the um, the Detroit Blues Society had a benefit bunch of benefit shows for him and raise money for a, a proper monument on his grave uh, he's buried in the mountain yeah Cemetery. that's crazy he's buried in the Mount hazel Cemetery in Detroit so I mean
0: yeah it's a fascinating, uh, a
1: fascinating story
0: yeah Hey, but Mike that CD did come out the one that he did in Seattle it did come out in uh, 2006 is that correct
1: Yes it came out in 2006, but from what I understand I think it was it was shelved all those years you know for some because it was recorded in 1968 I don't, I don't know why okay yeah so oh, why, did, why did it take so long I'm not I really don't know okay I mean it, it looked like it was um uh, a uh you know some kind of group in Seattle maybe they didn't have a lot of money the folklore society of Seattle who knows he played live, okay, they recorded, but they never, they never put it out. Now, um, in 2003, uh, Martin Scorsese, the director, did a PBS documentary on the blues. And what was really cool about this is um, they ended up putting a bunch of CDs out related to the artists that every episode was about. And I got the one for Sunhouse House right here, Okay. Uh, very cool. Uh, it's got basically the Paramount stuff, uh, some of the stuff that came later in the 40s, the stuff that uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's the Library of Congress or not, a uh, version of Death Letter. Okay. Death Letter is a great song that the White Stripes covered on their uh, De Steel album in, in the year 2000. Okay. They do it with Grinning in Your Face. Wow which is another song he did. Uh, some songs Stunhouse did, he didn't play guitar at all. It, like 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 Grinning in Your Face, John the Revelator, it was just him stamping his foot and clapping and singing a song. Okay? Exactly. But after, wow. Yeah, it was, it was just perfect. Now, uh, the White Stripes also would do John the Revelator sometimes live, I believe. Um, and another, another guy that I'm actually friendly with on Facebook, uh, from the Chesterfield Kings is Greg Prevost, the singer from the Chesterfield Kings. And he has a couple solo albums out and on his solo album from 2013 called Mississippi murder. Okay. okay. He covers, he covers John the revelator and he does a great version of it, but he does it with guitars, wow. Okay. It's not, okay. Just of yeah, no, he does it more like a traditional blues kind of thing. Uh, you know, House's music is still relevant. Okay. I mean, when you listen to some of these blues guys, Robert Johnson, Son House, Howlin' Wolf, you see where rock and roll came from. It's the roots of it. All right. You see you you, you can't you can't listen to it without going to yourself, wow, okay, this is where it started. Right, no yeah, problem. like the Murph. Right, right. So, you know, uh, I recommend everybody get into Son House, listen to his music. Uh you know, some people kinda you know, they stick with the Robert Johnson and they don't they don't get past that. But but Sunhouse nah. House is somebody you have to listen to to really get into that music.
0: Yeah. You know. So all I got for Sounds you today, good, man. man. Yep. yep, yep. That was pretty yep. good. Thanks. Learn something new, something I didn't even know about this guy until I started reading about him. He gave me the list of the people we're doing and yeah. Man, we still got a, yeah. four, we got three more artists. It's going to be a pretty rough fucking uh, month, but good shows, man, good information and damn. Thank you, Mike. This was uh, fascinating.
1: Yeah. I love you about a
0: new musician.
1: <laughs> but you know, you you've mentioned Led Belly a couple of times and and I you know, we could do yeah. a show on him later in the year. I'd like to do a show on Muddy Waters and and BB King as well. So We'll revisit this stuff. It's very important. It's very. It's all part of the history of rock and roll. Um, one other yes, guy we're covering at One other guy we're covering at the end of the month is Bo Diddley. All right? And he's yeah. one of my all-time favorites. So, you know, we're going to touch on all that. It's all very important stuff. So where can we find you, Rob? Yes, it
0: is. On the internet. So, I've um, got... That- guys if you want to find me look up anything getting lumped up on uh facebook instagram twitter you look lumped up you'll see my face there or you'll see mike's face and uh that's the way you know you got the right channel and um once you uh, get on those uh send me yeah, send me a note send me a memo if you want if you got something that you want us to talk about send us a memo or a letter and we'll gladly um and, for and I, the just show.
1: Say, I, I just want to say, people have been writing us. They've been they've been messaging me on Instagram that they have bands they want me to check out, and I I will do that and I will get back to you. Uh, I don't want to say who it was yet, but the one we were talking about the other day, I'm going to get in touch with them this weekend. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have them on and interview them before they get big, right? <laughs>
0: So that's what
1: I say. uh, Boom. Before before they get too big and they don't want us no more. Uh yeah, so if you're looking for me, I'm on Instagram under rockermike212. I'm also on Twitter, Rocker Mike3. I'm on Facebook under Michael Baker. And then we've got the Facebook Rock Show Podcast group page. Please check that out and join up. I'm on Parlor on the Rocker Mike and MeWe on the Rocker Mike. So I'm all over the place.
0: Yep. And for another end, this is the first week of Black History and the first artist, and we got three more to go. And like we always say here, don't get lumped, don't get drunk, get lumped up. Get lumped up. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. All right. See you next week. Music to your ears You'll learn about bands You love or may not know And it's only here on The Rock Show Ooh, yeah, on The Rock Show Ooh, yeah, on The Rock Show Don't tell your friends And everyone you know Let's get lumped up on the rock show